0: Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Wilkie. And I'm David Oro, and you're listening to The Embargo, the greatest PR podcast of all time.
1: Damn straight. There's always something to talk about and a point to make. We're going to do it when we want, whenever we want, which is usually about every other week. Emphasis on every other week or when we want on the latter. Okay, there you um, go. <laughs> whether it's tech, business, sports, music, or your mama, we're going to cover it.
0: And it all comes from the view of public relations, reputation,
1: and communications. We're all about punching stodgy PR in the face.
0: That's right, so sit back, strap in, and let's get it on. Okay, Paul, today's Thursday, August 10th. It's my first morning recording of the embargo. it's, we usually do this in the afternoon. It's like 9.30 now. And for some reason, I slept in today. So, like, and I'm like, "Why well, did I gotta do a recording?" And I'm like, oh, I better get some coffee going. So, I got I'm up so early fired up for today, though. I'm so fired up. For
1: today. I got up early to, to to download new versions of Zooms on all the computers we're recording on, and you know, wade through all my email, read all the newsletters. But yeah, it's it's still the middle of summer, man. It's it's still got that summer vibe.
0: Yeah, I know because last night I had like three beers on a Wednesday night hanging out at a community event, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." was like yeah, like, yeah we're celebrating. So, Paul, all good with you? We've got a guest today, as oh, usual. We're making this a regular thing because we 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 can't talk to each
1: other. We need a chaperone. Uh, <laughs> we need a chaperone. We've got a fantastic chaperone today. I'm I, uh, Jimmy, I'm going to let you talk about yourself a little bit, but I'm pleased to introduce today uh, Jimmy Bogle. Uh, he is editor and publisher of two publications, uh, the Reno News and Review and the Coachella Valley Independent. And we're going to get a little into what caught my eye about you, Jimmy, and uh, and dive deep into that. But Jimmy, introduce yourself.
2: Well, I just first have to say, if I'm the chaperone for this group, we're in big, big trouble. Um <laughs> Yeah, my name is Jimmy Bogle. I am the editor and publisher of the Coachella Valley Independent in Palm Springs, California. It's a paper I started about 10 and a half years ago. And as of about a year and a half ago, I am the publisher and executive editor of the Reno News and Review in Reno, Nevada. Uh, My hometown former alternative Newsweekly founded in 1993 that uh, the former owners, when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, panicked, stopped everything and um, slowly brought the paper back online. But since I took over about a year and a half ago, we've bought, brought the paper back into print as a monthly and are doing pretty well. So you are working in this sort of, w- w- what they call alt right?
0: right? Alternative alternative newspapers or? Yeah, they doing?
2: used to be called alternative news weeklies, but those, that term's kind of going by the website for two reasons. First of all, um, a lot of us aren't actual weeklies anymore. We're online only. In the case of my two publications, we're monthly. And um we're actually I'm actually the board president of the association of alternative newsweeklies right now. And we're actually looking at changing our name because a lot of the newer startup publications don't identify with that alternative moniker. The other issue is that the um alt-right has kind of taken over the word alternative. So you the three of us who have been around for a while know what an alternative newsweekly is, but a lot of the younger folk will say don't necessarily. So Yes, that's what we are, but it may not be what we are in the future, if that makes any sense. <laughs> well, what, what name are you gravitating towards? What are
0: the ideas? Wait, wait out
2: there? I got an idea. No one's using zine anymore. You can take that one. We'll pass. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, we're, we're looking at a lot of words like local and independent, you know, pretty much like a lot of other journalism organizations are looking at. But I, um, I, I don't know for sure that we're changing our name. I think we probably are. But there is a committee of smarter people than I working on that right now to come up with a new name. And um, it'll probably have the words local or independent or something like that in it.
0: In in terms of readership, what is it? What what is the demographic that you guys kind of go at or looking for? Is Is it
2: skew younger, middle, older? If we were having this conversation 15, 20 years ago, I'd say that we tend to skew younger. We tend to skew a little bit more affluent than the daily newspapers. However, these days in a lot of our communities, we are just as dominant in terms of the news and the coverage that we're doing as the daily newspapers. Like in Santa Barbara, for example, there is no more daily newspaper. It went online and then it died. Um, Here in Reno, um, even though the news and review um, went away for a while and came back, even though we were comparing comparing a monthly versus a daily, we've got a larger circulation than the daily. Um, In Palm Springs, you know, the, um, Desert Sun, the Daily There has been somewhat saved from a lot of big cuts because the newsroom unionized. And as a result, they can't make significant changes to the actual newsroom because they're in the process of a um, labor contract negotiation. So these days, our kind of our demographics are all over the map because depending on the city that we're in, we might be the dominant media source where even, you know. Traditionally, we might have had a lot of younger, hipper readers, theoretically. Now, pretty much everyone is reading us, or not everyone, but everyone who's going to be reading a newspaper is reading us because we're the only ones left.
0: You know, that, that, that's crazy. They, well, it's nice that you mentioned that because, listen, I was the fan of the alternative newspaper. I was, a you know, in my 20s, I was in San Francisco and it was the SF Weekly and was it the Bay Guardian? I think it yep. was what it was. And I would just pick those up because it had a lot of entertainment uh, news and then alternative news in terms of a different view of what the Chronicle and the Examiner was delivering at the time. What I'm finding now is that, and a lot of it was definitely an alternative view to things in, in life, right? And, and yes. how you approach city government and politics and businesses and the view of that world now what i'm finding with these did like uh, publications like yours these alternative ones are actually delivering news and they still may have an opinion and all of them are opinionated but it's almost it's not even alternative it's a great view of points. so there's a new manga, a new publication san francisco called the sf standard that is online um, and it's yes. great because hyper localized and really hitting some good things and and i, and I think this is where these independent magazine uh, publications can really make a difference. I live in Napa Valley. We have the Napa Valley Register. It's owned by Lee Enterprises, and, and like there's a skeleton crew. I feel for the local reporters here, right? It's you know, it's like maybe cover what's going on at the county and maybe some new policy that they're doing, but there's deeper things that are going on that they're not just totally missing. And this makes room for you guys. And from what I've seen. It's really filling a void uh, in terms of coverage. And I hope it sticks around.
2: Me too. You know, and, and, and you talk about San Francisco and the two large, you know, when I, the very first alternative News Weekly journalism conference I went to was in January of 2000 in San Francisco up on Van Ness at the Cathedral Hill Inn or whatever it was called, Cathedral Hill Hotel. And it was hosted by the Bay Guardian and the SF Weekly. And they're both gone now. You know, the Bay Guardian, um, you know, Bruce Brugman retired about 10 15 years ago. And a lot of it continues on in a publication called 48 Hills that Tim yeah. Rugman, his managing editor, continued. You know, Julie McEnany is running the SF Standard. She's actually the former editor in Palm Springs or the Desert Sun. And, um, you know, they've got a lot of money behind them. And so even within the um, non-traditional media or non, I'm sorry, non-daily media, things are changing right now. You know, it seems like in a lot of the bigger cities the former alternative news kind of went down in flames like the Bay Guardian and SF weekly. Whereas in the smaller places like Reno, like um, the Coachella Valley, we're still doing well. And in all of these places, a lot of online only publications are, are starting up and are doing great work. But the problem is you add up the number of reporters that the alternative publication, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the online startup has and everyone, and that's a fraction of the number of reporters that the dailies had 15, 20 years ago. So even though there's a lot of really great new publications doing awesome things, the number of reporters in all of our cities is significant, significantly diminished compared to where we were you know 15, 20 years ago. and that's kind of scary when it comes to what local governments are doing, you know, what really cool arts organizations aren't getting covered. And so you know it's a problem. and there's a, like I said, there's a lot of good journalists doing a lot of good things, but there aren't nearly as many of them as we need
1: with with both publications that you're operating how are you how are you adjusting you know what are you doing differently than you maybe were doing 2 years ago
2: 2 years ago not a lot new um but if you go back before the pandemic you know we've we've really pandemic of course changed every industry in some way shape or form and for example with the independent um we were really you know focused on our website and our print version Whereas when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden, you know, we never missed a print version. We had to cut our circulation back quite a bit and our page count quite a bit for a couple months there. But we actually really shifted towards newsletters. And so as a result, the Indie Digest, the thing that caused you to reach out to me originally, Paul, that became a bigger part of the independent because at the time we kind of stepped in to fill the void because there was so much misinformation. People were scared. You know, if you look at, go back to where we were in March and April of of 2020 and you know they didn't know what was open what was closed what the rules were what an essential worker was you know what all this news was about what was going on with health in various places so the (laughs) indie digest became a big part of what we do jimmy i was afraid to touch the
0: grocery store a conveyor belt. And I'm still afraid of that thing because <laughs> I thought I was going to get some random COVID. Well, Yeah. Well, you, do
2: you remember when we were washing our groceries and leaving our mail out in the sun for a while and all of this crazy stuff that we now know was, was kind of ridiculous, but it was li- literally a scary time with, you know, unless we've been around, um, you know, going back to the, you know, unless you're a hundred years old, we're around for the flu in 1918 to 1921. Um, we, none of us lived through this before. And it was such a scary time. And, you know, I really think that it, in a lot of ways, it introduced a lot of readers to the Independent because we were actually, you know, giving the news in an interesting way, you know, con- curating links to national news, but also doing it in a personal way, you know, saying, like, holy crap, I'm scared too. It's okay. We're going to get through this. And um, it really was transformative for the um, Independent. Here in Reno, it was transformative in a different way because the former owners were very print focused and just kind of shut everything down. And so I've in the, we've been in the process of really revitalizing the news interview, both online and in print, um, because people missed it. And up here, I think a lot of people realized how valuable this little newspaper is to the community, because in a lot of their minds, even though it did continue online in a limited fashion, it basically disappeared from their lives for two years. And while all of a sudden they got it back, even if though it was monthly compared to weekly, it was a big deal to them.
1: Well, I have to say, I, I thank you for doing such a great job with the Indie Digest. I moved down to Coachella Valley about a year and a half ago and is you, you know, latched onto it early and, and love it. And uh, uh, you do some great work. And what I wanted to get back to is, what connected us was, and um, your July twenty seventh edition. And I quote: "I would like to I'd like to discuss a less serious matter. People, PR people who bring out my curmudgeonly side. Now you're <laughs> you're you're among good company because we're both yes. curmudgeonly when it comes to PR as well. Uh, what got your goat,
0: well, Jimmy? Before you even answer that. <laughs> How can you not click on the headline on July 27, 2023 in the NDVI Digest when it said Beware of music PR people, yoga pants, Ozempic
2: and ticks. The hell. <laughs> <laughs> click right for- Let's go. <laughs> we, we, we had a good open rate on that one. Um, but yes, and that actually, uh, you know, basically what the Indie Digest is, is it's an introduction from me. It's a link to all the various lo- stories, almost all local that the Independent's done since our last newsletter. It's twice a week now. And then it's a curated list of of links, bl- local news blurbs, but a lot of it is national blurbs. And in that case, there was a piece about yoga pants possibly like certain yoga pants have metal in them so if you wore them to mris you could actually get burned um, there was you know a tick-borne disease and so actually all that stuff it was just kind of a way to make a fun headline but the music pr people thing it was just so happened that um my annoyance with pr people goes beyond music um it's as fair. well although you know there's a lot of great being on the show well.
0: jimmy <laughs> Thanks
2: for being on the show with us. <laughs> uh, love you. Mean it. No, um, no. And there truly are a lot of good PR people. But in this case, it just so happened within like a month or so, uh, there were three incidents with music PR people that made me kind of wonder what in the hell was going on in the world. The first one was a very innocuous thing. It was actually for a story we did in Reno. And we publish a story. And what we do is, you know, at the end of every music preview or whatever, there's a box that has, you know, when the concert is, how, you know, the address of the venue, how much tickets are. And then you always put the ticket price that's on the venue website or the promoter website or wherever people are getting tickets. And it just so happened this website did it the right way, in my opinion. And they said the ticket price is, I don't know what it was, like $47.75, which meant it was like $40 plus $7.75 in fees. And we just put down that tickets were forty seven seventy five because that was the first number you saw when you went to the ticket website. The music PR person said, "Can you change the ticket price? It's actually forty dollars and and I basically said, no. On your website or the person you're representing's website, it says forty seven seventy five. So no. The second one was,, um, there was a band playing at Acroure Arena, and our Music writer, or amazing music writer in, in C- 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 Coachella Valley, Matt King reached out and wanted to do an interview. And they said, Well, the band isn't really doing interviews right now, but we'd love to have you out for a show or have you review their album. And we said, We really don't do that. We like to do interviews. You know, we like to tell our readers what they can go see as opposed to what they missed. And that was fine. But then they emailed me, then they emailed Matt again, then someone else emailed Matt again. And literally, we had about five or six emails from various people asking us to cover this band. But when we said, can we do an interview? No, the band isn't doing interviews at this time. And then the last one I think was the stupidest one is we published a piece um, for a band playing or a musician playing in the Coachella Valley this month. And um, we put a a YouTube embed to a song, their biggest song that Matt and the artist had talked about in their story. And uh, we got an email from the PR people, can you swap it out for their newer song? Um, would really like it if you embedded this song instead, because they're really trying to promote it right now. And um, let's just say my email back to them was a lot kinder than I wanted it to be initially. There were no swear words in it, but I basically said, no, we'll stand by the story as it is, given that that's your biggest song. And it's the song they actually talked about in the story. Thank you.
1: Uh, one of the things that, that struck me about those examples is, you know, we've been on the other side of those. And one of the things that that I always... I always tell journalists is if if you're getting a weird request for me, there are three others that I that I I yes. gate I kept and kept from asking you. Uh, but that's not that's not an excuse. I mean, there are there are reasonable requests that we can ask journalists, and there are unreasonable ones. Um, I say so. I guess my first question is, you know, what are some reasonable requests that PR people can make? to you, either before an article's written
2: or after a story's written? Well, you know, asking for coverage is, is very reasonable. You know, in the case of the uh, the big band that was playing at the arena, um, you know, I understand you're, you're, you've are you been tasked with getting coverage for whatever reason, the band members aren't doing interviews because they don't want to, or they have maybe a diva complex and you've got to ask. Where it got ridiculous in that case is that there, the left hand and the right hand and the third hand out there, none of them knew what was going on. And so as a result, we got multiple requests. But, you know, if there's a correction or do you have a legitimate request, or even if you've got a client that is asking for something completely ridiculous, but you know you have to ask, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, on the can you swap in this different embed question, I didn't use a lot of swear words and ask them, you know, what their problem was in the email. I just said, no, we're going to stand by it because I realized that that could be coming from a client that... Um, was, was being a little bit overly difficult. Um, you know, I've also had PR people come and say, you know, or code their emails in a certain way saying the client asked me to re- you know, send along a request that you do this. I'm passing it along to you. Is it possible? Kind of coding it as a way of saying, I know this is batshit crazy, but I have to ask, you know, and, and, but, you know, really when it comes to getting a story right and making the best story possible and working with a writer and an editor to make sure that the coverage that we're doing for our readers and that you're getting for your client is best. Any question in that vein is appropriate and appreciated, but far too often, a lot of the questions aren't because, you know, the thing that, that drives me crazy about, um, a lot of PR people in any industry these days is a lack of follow-up. You know, I've had two instances in the last three or four months where I spent hours and hours developing, developing an advertising proposal, you know, being a small newspaper, I'm on both the advertising side and the, the editorial side, you know, where, you know, the client wants to do this, they're looking at these months, you know, what kind of rates can you get me? And then tweaking it and tweaking it. There's one at least I probably spent four or five hours over the course of several weeks putting together. And they said, you know, well, we're supposed to have an answer from the client by the 18th. And the 18th comes and I don't hear anything. So on the 20th, I sent an email saying, hey, following up and they say, oh, well, the client hasn't let us know, we'll get back to you. And then I send two follow up emails a week later and then three weeks later and I don't even get a response from them. And it's, it's not just PR people, it's anyone in any agency. I'm sure that a lot of PR people have annoying stories from journalists doing similar things. But it's just a lack of regard for people's time, especially these days, when whether you're working at a PR agency or you're on your own, you have a small PR firm and you've got your own shingle up, or you're publishing a publication like I am, you know, two publications in two cities with small staffs. Our time is valuable. Our time is limited. And we need to be respectful of everyone's time. And a lot of times people aren't doing that. Jimmy, let me ask you this. So Coachella is what? Is it the largest festival in America a music festival it's one of them um i think because it's over two weekends and you've got 125,000 people there yeah it's it's if not the largest it's one of the largest and then you got to cover it because they
0: turn it into a country music festival after that the week after well
2: week we we don't cover it as much as you'd think because you know speaking of annoying um pr and media people uh the folks at Coachella actually do not give local media other than the daily for the most part weekend 1 passes you know we no i'm not kidding every year we get weekend two and we go and we don't you know we do a preview we we preview a lot of the bands in medium and smaller sized fonts on there because it's a resource you know people might people are going to want to know if they're going to the festival be them local or you know coming in from out of town they're going to know about a lot of these bands that are playing in the earlier time slots at the festival that they may not have heard of But then when it actually becomes to festival time, we aren't going there just because, you know, the staff wants to go and have a fun festival experience. No, we're going there to work. And despite that, despite the fact that I can go back to our first year in 2013, showing that when we go there, we're covering, you know, we're we're reviewing what's going on. We're finding interesting local stories that other people aren't telling. We still only get weekend two passes. And that drives me crazy. What about this? What about,
0: what what is the inquiries like from music PR people or from anybody really? Are you inundated by hundred uh, like there's got to be like there's 50, 100 bands there like is everyone reaching out to you all at the same time? Are you inundated?
2: With- it's not just Coachella; it's year round. There, I am on so many music media lists, and they are national lists, and they're sending me, you know, oh this new band is coming out from a concert and they're going on a tour. And, you know, you look at the tour and the closest they're coming to either of my markets is Albuquerque or something. Oh. And it's, it's you know, a lot of, the, as a result, though, because we get so many of these emails, a lot of times if there's a really interesting band or musician coming to Palm Springs or coming to Reno, a lot of times I'll miss it because they're coming from the same people or the same emails or the same, you know, labels, whoever it is, the same PR firm that are sending me all these other ones. And so, I think you know a lot of it is you know there's that it's just this blast of emails, and there it's lacking this personal attention where you know a PR person's going, "Hey, um, you know this band is coming to your venue uh, or it's coming to your city. They're playing at this venue, and you know we've got an interview slot. Would you like it? There's less of that going on. And unfortunately, if it's coming from the same person that's also spamming me about where every band is playing in the country forever, I might be missing that. So that's kind of the problem that we have there.
1: I mean, one of the things that I'm hearing, and we were talking Dave and I were talking about it beforehand, is your grumbles about PR people, you know, music specific, are are you know across the industry. We're yes. we're hearing this from tech journalists as well. And I think the challenge, but and again, I think it goes back to what you said earlier. We're all working towards the same goal of decent, you know, decent coverage decent quality of stories yep. reaching reaching the audience. Um, I don't know how much of it's misunderstanding, how much of it is is you know rookie PR mistakes or just sloppy, uh sloppy work, but I think it's a combination of all, you know, all
2: three. I agree. I absolutely agree. And uh, can I uh, give one other um PR rant especially as as far as it goes sure. locally that you want to go I'm...
0: off with PR people go Please off.
2: <laughs> this is where to do it. <laughs> when it comes to especially local coverage and local pr agencies talking about your local media i think that a lot of pr agencies are blind or tone deaf to the fact that the media sources that are giving them coverage be them newspapers online tv radio you name it are all struggling and as a, and i think that you know the good the best pr people realize that when they are Coming up with their proposals for their clients or whatever. It's best to actually bake in some advertising money for these media sources because they need support. There are several um, PR agencies both here and in Palm Springs, where you know for years, they've asked us for coverage. They' you know we've given them coverage on a lot of things. And yet not once has any of have any of their clients through them spent $1 in advertising with us, you know, because they are going to their clients and they're saying, we can get you earned media and, you know, pay us to do that. And we'll do that, even though the earned media is costing the Coachella Valley Independent, the Reno News and Review, you know, insert name of radio station, insert name of online news source, you know, the 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 media sources that are actually giving reported good coverage that costs a lot of time and money to do. Yet when they're going to their clients, they're not saying, Hey, you should probably throw a few bucks at them in terms of advertising, because if we don't support these media sources, they're going to die. And, you know, I've had large multi-million-dollar people say, you know, I'm sorry, we just don't have it in our budget to spend $249 for a eighth page ad, one eighth page ad for the month of our event. And it's like, yeah, you do. Yeah, you so do. Th- that's that's the other thing is that a lot of PR people, you know, and I understand they're looking out for their own. They've got their own bills to pay, they've got their own malice to feed or whatever. But far too few local PR agencies that are depending on their local media to get coverage aren't doing what they can to make sure those local media are also getting the funding that they need to continue giving good coverage to their clients.
1: I think that's a that's a fair reminder, and I, I think one of the things that, and we've spent a lot of time talking about this in terms of, you know, you know, five years ago, you know, the wall between PR and advertising was you know a mile high, and some of the more nimble outfits uh, that that hopefully we are and, and that we work with recognize that you know, paid and earned, oh, yeah, that line is blurring. And you know, it makes sense to support pu- smaller publications like yours, and recognize that this is this is an ecosystem. It's not yes. no; these are not islands. And you know, before I think we saw our our roles as islands, and
2: now it's 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 more complete ecosystems. Absolutely, and you know, I we do you know we don't determine our coverage based on who advertises with us. Mm-hmm. We really don't. And, you know, it it, but me being on the publisher side, you know, I I very rarely assign stories. I've got, you know, my editor here in Reno assigns the stories and I've got all of my various writers in the Coachella Valley. They're telling me what they're covering because they're the theater experts. They're the news experts. You know, with rare exceptions, they're they're determining what they're covering. And that kind of insulates, you know, keeps the ad editorial wall up. But, you know, seeing it from the publisher's side, it does drive me crazy that, you know, here in Reno, there is a um, multi-million dollar arts organization that is always sending me requests for coverage and everything. And yet when I send them the request for, um, you know, hey, can you, you know, do you want to advertise this big thing coming up? And they say, I'm sorry, just isn't in the budget, you know, yet our story's in there, you know, and, you know, the 1500 word story previewing this big thing that's going to be going on for two months is in the paper, and they're getting their you know earned media. And yet, you know, at the end of the month, you know, we're not paying people as much as they should.
0: Jimmy, what what is the model for independence moving forward? I know that there's a you know here in in uh, in Napa valley, there there's a highway uh, twenty nine media, which is the highway that runs through here. And they just started and they they bought there's five towns. In Napa Valley, Marin Canyon, Napa, Yauntville, uh, St. Helena, and Calistoga. Only Napa has a paper and yep. it's the Lee Enterprise paper. Uh, 29 is going to try to cover the rest of those on a smaller scale. And they did a for-profit, nonprofit. I believe I forget the name of that sort of entity, that business entity. Um, but it's a way that they can actually, because of the importance of local news, they can actually raise funds as well as make money on that side. What is the, what do you, and that's like an interesting business model to me. It's going to require continued investment unless they sell a bunch of ads along the way. Um, And I'm not sure that will do it.
2: You know, you're seeing a variety of models coming up, you know, in some markets with some publications, they're still doing very well. They've got a nice healthy future. Um, I'm actually in the process right now here in Reno I'm working with a consultant, and um, I don't know for sure that we're going down this route, but I'd say that it's very likely that we're actually going to be going down the route of trying to convert the Reno News Interview Review into a complete nonprofit. Um, it won't even be the for-profit nonprofit site. It might be. But what I'm thinking is we're probably going to end up converting it into a full nonprofit news source, simply because um, the... Well, first of all, the news to me has a lot of things going for it, even though it went away for two years. First of all, there is no debt. This paper has no debt. Um, I got the assets from the former owners and, you know, put some of my own money into it, but I'm not looking to get paid. I stepped in to to revive this newspaper because this is my hometown. It's where I had my first byline in 1996 as a summer intern outside of my college newspaper. And it means a lot to the community. And so the amount of money we're talking about, to keep it's breaking even right now without paying me granted but it's breaking even without paying me so in order if we can keep with you know and there's different rules with advertising for nonprofits you have to be careful but if we can keep the news review bringing in the revenue that it is right now raise enough money from nonprofits be it grants or individual donors or national funders you name it to pay for a publisher then all of a sudden the news review can exist Without me, and you know, actually have a full time publisher that isn't splitting his time between Reno and Palm Springs, and then they can take that and build on that and try to get more advertising, try to get more grants, and I think that that's probably the future that a lot of smaller publications like the Reno Review are going to have, because you know, be it a, a hybrid model with for profit nonprofit, or be it a complete um, nonprofit model. You know, having that nonprofit side does open you up to a lot more funding in terms of of foundations and grants and individual donors that may want that tax break. And so I think you're going to be seeing a lot of publications going that route.
1: This has been enlightening. I'm glad we've had this, this chance to talk to you. What I'd like to do, Jimmy, I'd like to I'd like to ask you what's the best way for our viewers to connect with you, read your publications, sign up for your newsletters. Where where should we send them?
2: Uh, for Reno, go to renonr.com. Um, for the Coachella Valley Independent, go to cvindependent.com. Um, there's big fields on there where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter here in Reno or the Indie Digest in the Coachella Valley. And of course, if you go to our about page, my contact information, my phone number, my email address, you name it, it's there. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. That's great.
1: Jimmy, thank you so much. We've so enjoyed talking to you today. My pleasure. Yeah, and
0: Jimmy, Jimmy, you got to keep coming up with these headlines and- Punching stodgy <laughs> PR in the face, dude. That's he's taking dog. pot shots
1: at us. We love it. Yes, I'll yeah. do my best. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Thanks for being so